Welcome back to the podcast. In this episode, we'll be discussing the most embarrassing, hilarious, and costly epic fails of all time. We're gonna be starting with our own personal fails in our own life, and then move on to big corporate mistakes or fails, failed product launches, celebrity fails, history fails, and then finish with dumb ways to die. So Arthur, in your personal life, have you had anything that comes to mind, either that's majorly embarrassing or something that you feel like is a personal fail to you that you reflect back on? Honestly, it's quite tough. I mean, I feel like everyone's got these like embarrassing stories, but I think knowing the stories that are, that are coming up, especially the history fails and the dumb ways to die, which are kind of the main ones that I've like researched personally, nothing comes close to how insane some of those are. There's one thing that I was thinking in terms of tech, just because we were looking at the tech stuff. I remember dating a girl in year nine and um, I remember she wanted to start like voice and like video chatting on MSN or whatever it was, or like Skype or whatever. And uh, so she was like, oh, here's like how you set it up and was like doing all that. And we'd only really messaged online up until that point. And I remember being so embarrassed that I had such a high voice still in year oh, nine. <laughs> <laughs> but when we got it up and I got it working, I was on the other side of the thing, like, is it working? I can't see it working. Oh, really? <laughs> Just kind of like mouthing as if I was speaking. And then later on, I found out from her best friend that I was like, I'd kind of like chat to you like in a, in a more friendly way that she could tell that my mic was on because like there'd be clicking or tapping sounds oh, and she could no. hear me like breathing. So oh, she was just man. sitting there going, what is going on? Like this guy's mic is turned on. So how long did that video call actually last? You were just sat there with Probably your video Probably a minute on. or two and just being like, I can't, I can't. And then talk. you turned it off. Just like type in. Probably she would have heard the tapping of the keys. Yeah, that is embarrassing. I think there were just some, like, you know, just small embarrassing things like that. That just kind of like, do you ever just lay awake at night and your brain just randomly jumps to something embarrassing you did like eight years ago? I think it's more just at the time it seemed really embarrassing and then when you reflect back on it it's not so bad mm. but at the time I think it's it's always public humi humiliation where it's like people around you if you're in a class environment or like that it's almost if something happened on your own you, you don't really feel that ashamed of it at all if I like tripped up on my own no one was around it's fine but it's that public humiliation of looking up and just everyone laughing so has, has something like that happened to you before before we get into um not really just like I remember as a child, like you, you must have had this, it's quite generic, but when you're in primary school and you've got a female teacher and you call her mum by accident. Yes. That's like <laughs> the worst thing that I find. That happened to me in year nine. Oh actually, really? in Spanish and Miss Perestrello. Oh. I went to just say miss and I went mum and I was like, oh, for goodness sake, yeah. so much laughed at me. And being in all boys school, that's probably one of the worst things that can happen. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's more just kind of public humiliation stuff. Um, but yeah, I remember kind of a bit of an epic fail was is kind of like a past trauma as well when I was really young where I was just out and about as a child and I'd, I'd always kind of be a bit away with the fairies not really know what's going on and I was so young I think I was like four or five years old and I was walking down St Helier the main street in Jersey and I lost I looked around uh, and I just lost my dad and I didn't realize he turned into a shop and he thought I'd followed but I just carried on walking and as a kid, it was just so traumatic. And I was like, I was probably lost for a good like 20, 30 minutes. How old, sorry? Literally like, I must've been five years old. Oh, wow, so yeah. young, Fred. Like super young. And then I, I randomly ran into my head teacher in my primary school. And so she like looked after me and then basically called my dad. But I remember him just being so angry with me and me being so embarrassed that I'd like made a mistake. But like looking back, it's, it's I mean, it, it happens. It's not really that bad. It's not necessarily embarrassing, but more just like, 
a fail on my part not being with her <laughs> five-year-old yeah. you should have known better they're kind of weird because the same kind of thing happened to me i think i was in dinard in france with my family and they were like you went missing for like a good hour like they just had no idea where i was and those kind of things to us that kind of are like you know that that's kind of a minor mistake that's not even a big deal but that's one where someone could have picked you up the whole like trajectory of your life could have changed because you could have been yeah, exactly. Yeah. By who knows what. So should we, I guess, without really having any any necessarily big fails ourselves, should we move into, I guess, get started straight away with the corporate fails? Yeah, definitely. I've got quite a funny one to begin with that, that I found. So basically there was this travel company, right? It was uh, in the 1988 Yellow Pages, there was an ad purchased by the Banner Travel Agency and it was meant to espouse the company's exotic travel options. However, there was a typo so the typo was made by a company called um, Pacific Bell. And instead of advertising exotic travel options, it advertised erotic travel oh, wow. options. And Banner's owner said that the error cost her 80% of her business, the majority of whom were um, elderly customers. And she wasn't assuaged when Bell waived the ad's $230 monthly fee. She later sued for $10 million. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That sort of like one little typo can be so costly can be so but you think in a small little advertisement yeah like you check every last letter because there's not that many i actually have a, a kind of similar one which is much more understandable so uh it was this was in 1962 so uh, america's space race against the soviet union was in full flight and nasa was preparing to launch marina one an 18.5 million dollar probe bound for venus on the nation's very first planetary mission Official accounts dispute what caused the prodigious probe to veer dangerously off course, but many cite either a missing hyphen in the guidance code and others a missing decimal. Marina 1 lost contact, lost control, and was ordered to be blown up just 293 seconds after launch. But that's one where it's kind of like, you know, the code for that must have been astronomically long. So missing out a decimal or hyphen, like, it's crazy to think that such a small change can like offset everything. But that's much more understandable than, you know, a literal slogan having a typo i actually have a similar one to your airline one and it was uh where essentially flights for the usual price of two and a half thousand us dollars were due to human error and wrongly priced at 33 dollars so essentially hundreds of people got business class flights from toronto to cyprus for only 30 dollars wow dream and what they just let them yeah and they, they, they just it. admitted that it was their own mistake and uh they let everyone kind of get away with it so no way. so i guess that happened in sort of a positive way for the customers but negatively for the for the company's profits i have an interesting one that's kind of the same as that but it's flipped almost the other way around in terms of the way they dealt with it so in 2007 in New Mexico, a local car dealership came up with this brilliant plan to stimulate sluggish sales, mail out 50,000 scratch cards, one of which was supposed to reveal a $1,000 cash prize, right? But uh, the Atlanta-based Force Events Direct Marketing Company mistakenly upped the ante when they printed said scratch tickets, making every single one of them a grand prize winner for a grand payout of $50 million. What? But unlike with your plane one, uh, they were unable to honor the debt, obviously, because it would bankrupt them. And the dealership instead offered a $5 Walmart gift certificate for every winning ticket. So imagine thinking you were going to win a grand from this ticket and they go, actually, sorry, here's a $5 Walmart gift card instead. That'd be so disappointing. I'd be absolutely gutted. Yeah, that's a big amount to lose out on, but I've got an even bigger one. So this isn't necessarily a corporate blunder. So in 2013, right, there's an IT worker called James Howells. He mistakenly threw away an old hard drive containing 7,500 Bitcoin. 
at the time it was worth a thousand dollars um but it's now worth 200 million dollars today wow and that can never be retrieved right that's, yeah that's i mean just, no once the hard drive's yeah. gone with the whatever whatever it's stored on i mean there'll be crypto people that will understand this better than us yeah but once it's gone it's gone and i there are a lot of stories like that definitely but you've got to think with how relevant it was priced back then like back when it was like a fraction of a cent you wouldn't care people wouldn't care and how much out there is just sitting in wallets that are never going to be touched well also now people because it's so valuable now people are really conscious of its safety and so mm. there's so many like hard wallets you can buy secure wallets whereas back then yeah it's probably quite quite difficult to store your bitcoin yeah it's evidently they just stuck them on a on an old hard drive so i have a few as well and then we'll move on to the next topic it was to do with um toys r us and they essentially stocked this toy um that had huge backlash so it was around the time of when breaking bad was popping off and essentially they um launched a walter white uh toy which also came with sort of like a, a meth making kit <laughs> yeah. yeah and so for kids yeah for kids and then there was a petition yielded nine thousand signatures supporting the argument to get it revoked essentially wow yeah, it obviously had a lot of controversy and I think it had an impact on their sort of brand reputation and kind of wasn't really worth it. So did that come with like a kit where like the kid would come home and make their own little meth crystals at home? Or was it like Walter White himself had like a, a little meth lab himself, but as like a toy and the kid didn't really do much with it? Yeah, so it was, it was just a toy that Walter White came with and each doll had a detachable sack of cash and then a bag of meth as well, which just caused a lot of controversy. Um, but, and I, I think, yeah, just kind of, impacting Toys R Us own brand and they obviously went down to liquidation and then they're no longer around anymore so oh wow so what was that one of the triggering events maybe no I doubt it I doubt it it was, was more just... I think it was more that they didn't sort of transition into the online space so I it was see. more of like um, their own sort of strategy rather than the controversies that they got involved in true but just part of their downfall yeah essentially and then I've, I've also got another one that's kind of like uh, tech related also uh, company related before we move on and um, obviously Apple that we're, we all use now on our phones every day. Um, we, we're all very familiar of, um, Steve Jobs, who was the founder of, of Apple with Steve Wozniak. Mm -hmm. Um, however, there was actually a third person involved in, uh, in starting in, the company. In starting the company no yeah. way. So someone called, uh, Ronald Wayne was obviously the only non Steve of the trio was essentially tasked with minor roles in, in the new company, including designing the logo, servicing the tire breakdown between the two Steves and, and had big decisions to be made. Um, he received 10% of Apple while the other Steves each had 45%. Um, and he, he then decided that it, the, the startup was way too risky. So he decided to sell back his shares just for $800. No way, he sold 10% of Apple back in the day yeah. for $800. Yeah. Oh, you'd regret that so much. That would be a killer. So more of like a, yeah, a costly mistake rather than like public humiliation. Like no one would really know about it, but you'd yeah. just be sat there even now, just be absolutely gutted. Well, people know about it now because it's come up on the podcast. Yeah. Maybe this will make a TikTok clip as well. But I wonder if that's one where he still lies awake at night, like regretting every single day that, you know, because I mean, that would make him a, a billionaire comfortably now if he had kept that 10%, wouldn't it? Oh yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. I wonder if that like that would just be within you that you'd regret it so much that you would be just so motivated to start a new company or to be successful. Yeah, oh my goodness. I like think you just have some sort of internal drive where you'd, you just want to be successful or you'd go the other way and just, I don't know, become really lazy 
and feel like you, you've just just lost out on give up on life yeah, give up on life it, it kind of reminds me of the social network have you seen the social network about like zuckerberg and starting facebook and stuff the uh, movie i've seen episodes i don't think i've seen that movie no oh, okay it, it's really good it obviously like details how he kind of like hit the, the kind of story at least in the movie is that like kind of two very rich like jock type guys approached him with the idea and he coded it himself whilst messaging them being like sorry can't work on your website today whilst making his own version oh wow it was slightly different but they sued him and the whole thing is like the lawsuit and talking about like how the story came about and they ended up settling i think they got a good couple hundred million from him in as a result of the suit just being like you know this was kind of your idea but they must be fuming and they actually ended up becoming just on the topic of bitcoin Bitcoin billionaires, I think. Oh, I think really? they invested in Bitcoin. They both tweet about it all the time. But there's also there's also another kind of thing. One of his friends, Edward, or Eduardo, I think his name is, uh, started and he was like funding the company. So he was funding Facebook and um, Zuckerberg was obviously building it. And I think Zuckerberg had like 60% and Eduardo had 40%. And he eventually one day like signed away his rights to the shares or like kind of like there, there must have been another funding round where a bunch of new shares like diluted his yeah. shares, but he it got diluted from like 40% to like 0.0001% wow. and everyone else kept their like original shares. So he was absolutely fuming and I think he sued as well. Yeah. But there's one more story um, from that where Justin Timberlake plays the guy who came up with LimeWire, I think. You know, oh, the yeah, old- Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. it wasn't LimeWire. Uh -huh. It was something like Napster which was, I think, a similar thing, like ripping off like music or whatever. But he told the story of like um, the guy who invented Ann Summers and he kind of just wanted to like be able to, you know, buy his wife a pair of thigh highs and like not feel embarrassed about it. So he came up with this Ann Summers thing. He sold it for not very much. It became like hundreds of million dollar company like a few years later and apparently threw himself off the Golden Gate Bridge. Just kind of like I sold out on this company and this should have made me one of these like multi-million, maybe even billion dollar tycoons. It's it's mad yeah, how emotions no, like attached people get to money to the point where they they're all, they're suicidal. Clearly, I know. And he he even sold it for like five million. You know, it's not like he sold out for eight hundred dollars. Yeah. Like, but he just obviously. I mean, it could have been a whole host of other reasons. Yeah. But that's at least the story he gives in the thing. Yeah. And that really reminded me of it. So I would love to know if there's like an interview of that guy. What was his name? Uh, so the third person was Ronald Wayne. Ah, oh, Ronald Wayne. Oh, yeah. I wonder. I wonder if there are like interviews of him now speaking about it and whether he ended up like reinvesting or going to another company because i feel like me personally i'd be almost bitter where i wouldn't want anything to do with it I'm, i'd almost not even want to buy an iphone for example like you'd be so so annoyed you wouldn't want to associate the company yeah i can get that i get that completely have you got any more corporate fails because i've got some failed product launches or have you got any more corporate fails there's, just to go there's one more that i want to go into so this was to do with like complete failure in terms of the manufacturing process so essentially um the ford pinto which was made back in the 70s, um, was built and manufactured with a defect where essentially if there was any form of rear collision, um, the whole engine would explode. Oh, I've heard about this. Yeah, so there's actually an example of this. So in 1972, Lily Gray stalled as she entered a crossroads and her engine exploded and she ended up trying to sue the company. They tried oh, she survived the explosion? She, ex she survived, but she tried to sue them. And then... This rupture obviously caused huge risk for every single person that owned this vehicle and 1.5 million cars. So they actually tried to hide the the, the defect. 1.5 million cars were actually tried to re were recalled from manufacturing. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I've actually heard about that. Um, 
I'm sure they kind of like did some calculation where they figured out that it would cost less money to pay off the victims or the victims' families than it would to actually end up recalling them. And so I'm sure they got hit with a massive, I don't know if you have the number, but they got hit with like a massive fine for like ha trying to cover it up in the first place. Have you got the amount there? Or? No, I don't. I yeah, don't. but it was, it was insane. It's kind of messed up, isn't it? Like it's such a dystopian corporate idea that they yeah. kind of go like, oh, this is a danger and it's going to kill people, but it's actually cheaper to pay off the victims of the fam or, the or their families than it would be to actually recall it. Like I know, yeah. It, it's again, like it's one of those, I don't know, probably kind of just looked over mistake, but then cost absolutely millions of pounds to, yeah. to recover from. And then potentially more from to, to get back the reputation of the company as well. So, exactly, I'm surprised that Ford is like still alive and kicking just know, as well yeah. without people going like, I'm never gonna buy, buy a brand new Ford from you guys. Cause you know, only like a couple of decades ago, you were literally willing to let me die if it was cheaper than telling me that my car wasn't safe. Yeah, literally. And uh, my mum drives a Ford. Like, I feel like now it's quite renowned as quite a safe car. Like, yeah, people, it's so. very popular. So, yeah. So yeah, you mentioned obviously product launches. Um, yes. Do you want to talk a little bit about that then? Yeah. So, so this is nowhere near as dark. This is almost quite funny. So I don't know how they got this this wrong, but you know Colgate, the, the oh, like yeah, toothpaste yeah. company, yeah. Um, they came up with the weirdest brand extension idea ever they decided to sell frozen dinners. So, you know, you could buy like a Colgate beef, frozen beef lasagna. And obviously seeing the, the word Colgate, you yeah, almost imagine it work. just gonna be like a minty, gross frozen pizza. And it and it backfired, obviously, probably because consumers couldn't help but think that the Colgate food tasted just like their toothpaste. And not only did the food sales obviously fail massively, but the actual toothpaste sales plummeted after the launch of the Kitchen Entrees line as well. Really? So they took a double hit there. Not only did their sort of like second attempt, you know. I wonder what made them have such confidence to feel like they could just dominate another market because I know. you have such brand association with a, as, as a buyer yourself. You just automatically assume that, again, yeah, like you said, I feel like, I'd assume that the, the lasagna had like minty undertones or something. Yeah, it's so dumb, isn't it? You think like these massive corporations would have just like the absolute best marketing guys there ever. I mean, I kind of get it if they wanted to start like a second company, but like, yeah, I, I, I wonder if they thought that they're like brand loyalty, like oh, everyone loves Colgate toothpaste, they'll love Colgate, whatever we put out. But yeah, evidently not. Yeah, at least call it something else or have like a sub branch company that you still own. You could do that. Yeah, that one, that one was one they should have known in hindsight. And this one, they almost couldn't have known. So um, Microsoft, right? So they wanted to be a key player in the artificial intelligence movement. You might have seen this because I saw it at the time, actually. It's so funny. So they developed a chatbot to interact with humans via Twitter, right? So they called it Tay. The bot was meant to demonstrate how AI can learn from humans. But the whole concept took a disastrous turn as Microsoft hadn't considered the racist and sexist views often ex expressed by Twitter users. Tay promptly learned to use foul and offensive language. So this AI chatbot ended up becoming like disgustingly oh, racist, wow. homophobic, like set, yeah, uh, like just horrendous. Like was spewing all of these things and it was suspended by Twitter for breaching rules just 16 hours after its launch. Wow. Isn't that wild? That's mad. So what was it taking like the opinions that it would sort of um, see on Twitter and then that would automate responses that would develop over time. Pretty much over not a lot of time either. Like it was just going like, it was taking in views and stuff from Twitter. Right, which is and so toxic anyway. So, it, I mean, it's gotta be 100% one of the most toxic yeah, platforms. Uh, and then the last one, I don't know if you remember this. This is this this might be a, an age test because I feel like our younger viewers might not know this. 
Microsoft's Office Assistant Clippy. Do you remember the little like paperclip that used to come up and try and chat to you on Microsoft Word? Yes, I do. <laughs> I forgot that about was like that. When we were young in yeah, IT, I imagine. In primary was, like, school. Very young. Like that was when we were just getting on Microsoft Word. Yeah. Um, but it's described by many as one of the worst user interfaces ever developed. People hated this thing. So it was designed to pop up whenever the software thought that the user needed help. And apparently used to just piss everyone off like ridiculously. Like, people wanted to go online and search for help or click the little search thing, but they didn't want this little divvy to pop up and just be like, <laughs> you look like you need help. Here's yeah. how you do this. Cause it's so patronizing. Yeah. And uh, so, after Microsoft acknowledged its unpopularity, they removed it swiftly after. Yeah, fair enough. Cause I, um, yeah, I, I feel like exactly that. It's almost, it is patronizing if something's coming up all the time when you're not even asking for it. Yeah. And, and back it was such then, an it ugly little design, like this little paperclip with two wonky eyes. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's just like jarring, like one tiny eye, one big one. Back then as well, the interface really can't have been that complicated. Like the functions no. were a lot basic compared to now. Yeah, it wouldn't have been that smart. So people were probably getting help for recommendations for things that they just did not want help with. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh my God, piss off. <laughs> <laughs> have you got any product launches? Um, no. Or anything else? What else do you want to do? Because I've got, I've got some good history fails. Yeah, let's but talk do you about want to that. Do, some, uh, do you want to do some corporate fails or celebrity fails before we go into the history ones? Let's, let's go into history one. I'm interested in what you got. Okay, so I've got a couple here. And these are, I've, I've kind of got a couple of just really, really big ones. And so we're going to start off with one. So this is something I've read about on the internet so much. Like I see it referenced, people make jokes and memes about it, but I never actually knew what it was. So it was the Great Emu War. Have you ever heard of this? Uh, I think I've heard of it, but I don't know about it. Yeah, so I, I was the same. Like, I heard about it, but didn't, didn't know the details. So it basically took place in Australia during the Great Depression. So due to food prices going up, Australia wanted farmers to crank up their grain production, which put a lot of pressure on them to fix this problem. So this is where the army of the grain-eating emus comes in. They consumed and spoiled a lot of the crops and left large gaps in fences where rabbits could enter and cause further problems. As a result, the prices worsened to put more pressure on the Australian government and its farmers to produce even more grain. So to combat the emu army, Australia employed Royal Australian Artillery soldiers armed with Lewis guns, which were machine guns, to launch an all-out attack on the herds of emus. However, after a few battles with the army of feathered bipedal warriors, the machine guns just weren't able to stop them and the emus continued to ravage Australian grain fields. So to summarize how formidable the emu army was, Major GPW Meredith said, if we had a military division with a bullet carrying capacity of these birds, it would face any army in the world. They can face machine guns with the invulnerability of tanks. So apparently their torsos could just eat up machine gun bullets without that's them perishing. That's insane. Which is wild. So they actually essentially won the war. So during the first attempt, the Aussies killed only around 300 emus out of an estimated 20,000. I mean, obviously the emus weren't fighting back, but uh, this is considered by many to mean that the Australians lost this war against 20,000 emus. Um, and yeah, they continued ravaging the area and it seemed like the small militarized forces would not suffice. So the government instituted a bounty on dead emus instead, resulting in over 50,000 dead birds across all of Australia. And finally, a victory for green farmers at least. Wow. Isn't that so odd? That's bizarre. And I would never have thought that. What did you think was going through your head when I was like, there was an emu war? I thought so genuinely I like they were killing people and people were trying to fight back and the emus were like 
just killing Australians. Yeah, I didn't think it would be like humans versus emus. Like, <laughs> I thought they'd be involved in some way, but I had no idea. Oh, you thought it'd be like yeah, emus yeah. versus emus, or like some yeah, wild hogs like or something, yeah. or something to do with yeah, like vegetation or like farmers or something, but not yeah. actually versus emus. Yeah, it's mad how yeah, like some it, it almost reminds me of uh, you know the Vietnam War yes. when you sort of have like the American and their military might and their numbers and their money. And it's like, you think it's going to be the easiest war to win ever. But, you know, the Viet Cong with their sort of like just incredibly intelligent um, strategies, some quite simple and sort of knowledge of the lands and stuff. And, you know, their, their tunnels and oh, I can't remember what the tunnel system was called, but this like incredible tunnel system. Yeah, well, I think because the tunnels were so small as well. So an average mm. American couldn't even fit down them. Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. And they'd sort of like pop up like, you know, you'd sort of like have to swim down in bodies of water and you'd pop up in this like incredible cave system and like some like you know some corners would lead to like spiked floors yeah, and there stuff there was and traps and things yeah, yeah. it was I, a gorilla war wasn't it yeah, yeah. I, I mean it's one where i haven't studied it in absolute ages it was what gcse history yeah but it just reminded me the exact same kind of thing you just think with this like all this might and it's just they just they just could not defeat them so yeah so i just i still can't really comprehend that though on, honestly so, so what they even if they got shot they would just they, they would just, just continue going they, yeah they, like like they wouldn't the, die. like the general said they had they can face machine guns with the invulnerability of tanks apparently their bodies could just eat up bullets it was massive so what did they have to then like upgrade the technology to finally kill them or is it just i do th i actually do think they power. gave them yeah i think they gave them better machine guns later on yeah. but obviously it, when they put it into the hands of like the uh the civilians and said like we'll pay you for every emu you kill that's when it came in but i've got another similar kind of one that's like um kind of, I guess, government or civilian failures versus animals. So whilst Britain was suffering through the Great Plague of London from 1665 to 1666, many people believe that cats were spreading the plague. And so they started to kill off the city's felines. I'm sure you can tell where this is going. It was a bad idea. So as it turns out, rats were responsible for the spread. So by killing off the cats, people allowed the disease to spread even further out of control as the rat population boomed without the predator competition. Isn't that mad as well? Just yeah, sort of that's like, mad. So, this, so they had the complete wrong strategy and made it even worse. the complete wrong idea made it so much even worse. And almost at the exact same time as the final fail. So I actually, there's so much interesting information about the, the Great Fire of London. I always thought it would be a bit of a boring topic to cover at school. I'm sure some do. But did you ever learn about it? Yeah, but they also cover it when you're very young as well. I swear yeah. it's literally when you're about seven or eight years yeah. old and then you literally don't study it again. Yeah, and I, I remember so little of it, even if, I think it might have come up in a history lesson or two, yeah. but there's so much interesting information about this. So it's not too long, but so it was, it was the exact same time period. So it was the 1660s, right? And people at the time were just not as aware of the fire of like the danger of fires as they are today. And so buildings were made of timber. They were covered in a flammable substance called pitch and they were roofed with thatch, which is kind of tightly packed together, little, um, like almost like straw. And there was just little regard of, for planning. Around 350,000 people lived in London just before the Great Fire. It was literally one of the largest cities in Europe. So following a long dry summer, the city suffered a drought. Water was scarce. The wooden houses had dried out, making them easier to burn. And it was basically a recipe for disaster. So the fire started on the 2nd of September at a bakery belonging to the King's baker, Thomas Farriner. It's believed that he initially put out the fire after a spark from his oven hit some fuel in his kitchen. But unfortunately, by the early hours of the morning, his house was ablaze and the fire began to spread. And so this is what I didn't know. So at the time, 
there was no organized fire brigade so firefighting was very basic at the time there was little skill or knowledge involved and they basically had leather buckets axes and water squirts to fight the fire um so the way they actually stopped the fire was a guy called samuel peppis i think that's how you pronounce it who's clerk of the axe to the navy board and famously kept a sort of detailed diary of the events of the fire spoke to the admiral of the navy and agreed that they should blow up houses in the path of the fire there was hope that by doing so they would create space to stop the fire from spreading from house to house the navy carried out the request and the fire was mostly under control by the 5th of september however small fires continued to break out and the ground remained too hot to walk on for several days after but isn't that insane they sort of they stopped the fire by blowing up a bunch of houses in the by path creating yeah more destruction to houses nearby yeah what? i guess it's almost like i guess when there's forest fires and they sort of go around like cutting down sort of like um I trees guess so it can't in the path catch of, onto something so it, it, yeah. it basically hits the last house yeah. and then it stops and you clear the day reaper it's crazy and I, I didn't realize how insane the destruction was so one third of london was destroyed with 89 churches four of the city's seven gates thirteen thousand two hundred houses and St. Paul's Cathedral all falling victim to the fire. 100,000 people were made homeless. Do you, do you have, here's a, an interesting guess one. Guess what the death toll was? How many people died given one third of London? Yeah, it's, I don't know, I'd say half a mil? Um, well, there was only 350,000 people living there at the oh, time. Oh, okay, so 100K. <laughs> so six. Oh, what? Only six people died. Um, but I think that's kind of like as a direct result of the fire and that's the official number. I think a lot of historians actually believe that this, I, I would have said the exact same by the way, I would have been like at least tens of thousands. But um, many historians believe that this number didn't account for the hundreds or even thousands of low or middle-class Londoners who likely were burnt beyond recognition. Wow. Um, and another interesting thing is, so that's almost like direct result of the fire, right? But so stone and brick were used to rebuild build the city, thankfully. Um, but initially, temporary buildings were erected because obviously they needed to get back to homing people and stuff. But they were ill-equipped, so disease spread easily. But a lot of people died because there was a really harsh winter that followed that dry, hot summer. So a lot of people just didn't have houses with, like, obviously the thatched roof, the insulation and stuff. And so they ended up dying from the winter. So sort of wow. like the Fire of London actually had people dying months down the line as a result. Yeah, so the implications lasted a lot longer than, a lot longer. than what it should have done. But it's almost, it was probably almost an inevitability, wasn't it? Like yeah. with, with all the, the houses just being the, built the way they were. I mean, that's, you only need one fire to set it off. Yeah. It's almost amazing that they got to the point where there were hundreds of thousands of people living there and all these homes before it actually happened. But this is where, this is where it gets really interesting in terms of the firefighters. So, um, and almost like a, you know, I guess a bit of a silver lining or like something that came of it was not only the sort of like updated stone buildings, um, but shortly after, clever businessmen spotted an opportunity to provide the surety of insurance that reduced the risk of financial losses by employing men to extinguish fires. And thus, the first fire brigades were no formed. So they actually first came about from almost like entrepreneurial in innovation. of People being like, oh, if we're going to insure all these houses against burning down, let's pay people to, came, you know. Came about a whole new industry, I guess. Yeah. So isn't that, isn't that mad? That is mad, yeah. So there's so... I, I, yeah, I always thought it would be kind of like a, a bit of a boring thing to learn in school. And there is there is actually so much more information on the Great Fire of London that I was like, 
I could genuinely add this, but we could have done a whole podcast episode on it. That's the kind of thing where you could get a specialist yeah, and they oh, could come yes. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think we should do that with an episode at some point where we just get someone to go like, there is so much interesting stuff about this particular topic uh, to dive into. And then almost, uh, should we, do you mind if I go into the last history thing? Yeah, I'm kind of hogging yeah, yeah, yeah. the... Uh, no, no, go for it. I'm enjoying it. I'm learning a lot. So I this feel like was, I'm with a specialist right now. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I love this kind of stuff because I feel like it can come up in conversation one day and you can just sound so smart by just being like, you know what, fire brigades, you know how they came about, just saying stuff like that. So do, so they, I'm guessing they weren't really a thing even other countries then yet. Yeah. Was like, I wonder which country were the first to sort of introduce yeah, the hard proper to say. brigade system. Yeah, yeah m- maybe it really could have been that because I mean, you know, if we were one of the biggest cities, yeah, true. one of the biggest fires, maybe that was really what sparked the idea of a need for you know proper fire safety so that yeah. the navy doesn't have to get involved and freaking blow up half the city <laughs> to stop the uh but this was another one where sort of like foresight just went really wrong although you know what so world war Two. so you know we sort of had had the uh the blackout so sort of obviously with the german bombers the luftwaffe like coming in and bombing london there was this blackout where they sort of said like you know cut off all the lights like you know plunge the city into darkness so the airplanes don't know exactly where they're dropping bombs um but it caused serious problems knock-on effects for people traveling by motor car obviously oh yeah so in september 13 uh, 1939 it was announced that only car side lights were allowed the results were alarming car accidents increased and the number of people killed on roads almost doubled the king's surgeon wilford trotter pointed out that the luftwaffe was able to kill 600 british citizens every month without even ever needing to take to air at a cost of itself for exactly nothing. So 600 people per month in London were just dying just because of a knock-on effect of the fear that they created and, and the need for blackouts. I'm guessing if there's so many vehicles on the roads like during these blackouts, then surely it can't have been planned. People can't have been aware of, of it happening, do you know? Well, it was sort of like at night. So it was like every single night, you know, you'd have to cover up your windows, turn off your lights. And the government were like, if you're driving at night, you know, you just, you, you have to get rid of essentially your, your headlights. So they actually did, it, it forced them to update the regulations. So rather than having headlights switched off entirely, which obviously just is a terrible idea, they changed to allowing dipped headlights um, and the headlamps needed covers with three horizontal slits on them. Uh, they reduced the speed limit to 20 miles an hour. Um, white lines were painted along the middle of the roads and curb edges and car bumpers were also painted white. So they essentially just told everyone to slow down. We're like, you can have a right, bit of okay. a bit of light, but um, yeah, it's just but I clearly didn't help. <laughs> yeah, no, it, I'm, I'm guessing it helped a little bit after that. So that yeah. was after oh, right, there okay. were a lot of deaths coming in. But I just found that so interesting that sort of like, yeah, it, it's almost like that that part of warfare where it's like you know you're not killing people by dropping bombs. You're literally it's it's basically terrorism, isn't it? Like yeah. causing deaths. Well, it's not not from the effect of the Germans either. It's literally just, yeah, as a result of the own, of UK's policies or their own decisions. Yeah. So yeah, do you want to get into your final corporate fails and celebrity fails and stuff? And then we'll get into some, some hilarious dumb ways to die. Yeah, sure. So um, I actually have, I have one more kind of corporate fail. um, And then I'll move on to some celebrity mistakes, which are kind of obviously more lighthearted, like not as serious, but kind of just embarrassing things that happen to people. I think with the celebrity stuff, it's more like, you know, it happens to a lot of people day to day, but because they're, they've got such a big platform or they've got, it could be in a crowd of people, big audience watching them, 
um it's just so much more embarrassing um and so just having that on a large scale is, is just is just humiliating so so the the last corporate one is actually to do with a with a mars climate orbiter and essentially it was sent to mars uh in 1998 everything was going well the space probe entered the orbit of the planet in 1999 only to be lost and possibly disintegrated the failure is attributed to the fact that nasa was using metric newtons but manufacturer Lockheed Martin had equipped the bot with British pound seconds instead. So that blunder actually cost them $300 million. 300 million? Yeah. My word. So or just on that scale, I guess. And, and the project was obviously, you know, years planned in advance. The, the, um, the orbiter took a year to get to the required destination, but they just lost it. That's mad. Yeah. That always, I, 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 it doesn't make any sense to me whilst I, I'm sure there'll be a lot of Americans listening that they use Imperials rather than the metric system. Yeah, and I just I don't get why the whole world hasn't gone. We need to all just go on the metric system. I tell you what, like kind of off topic from that, but I, I just, I don't understand why the same with like, obviously metrics, like why people don't use measure, measure the same way. And the same with like plugs like i know i don't i just don't get it like why doesn't every country use the same socket yeah it, it's just bizarre like that things aren't consistent but i guess it comes with people's cultures and then over time just you know people will have differences in their different in different countries yeah and once you've started wiring things a certain way but yeah. i mean that's kind of what the eu do, do isn't it they kind True, of go yeah. like everywhere in the eu now has just those two-pronged plugs make it and more uniform. maybe we should jump on it too i mean i don't know electronics nah, and they, they can like do which the one's better yeah. <laughs> the three the three looks a bit better in my opinion yeah. the two looks really outdated for some reason to yeah. me also I, really I, thin like like it's snap do you know what i mean yeah it's not I, sturdy. yeah i agree but there is loads of stuff like that and i think it's the same with chargers i mean it definitely used to be worse but do you remember when you used to just have like a million different types of chargers for like every single yeah. device and now it's so much better because everything's becoming kind of like USB, micro USB or USB-C. I think if everything was like USB-C, it would just be so much easier. Would be so much Even better. Even now the USB is like having to, do you ever do the thing where you like put it in? You're like, oh, that's upside down. You put it in, it doesn't go the other way around. Oh no, mine works both ways, USB-C. Yeah, see, that's what I'm saying. USB-C does, yeah. but USB oh, doesn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got you. And you yeah, always yeah. get it wrong the first time. Yeah, and then yeah. for some reason, get it wrong the second time. Yeah. And then it works the first way around. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's just one of those things we have to live with. Pain. Um, the, yeah, so then just kind of moving on to celebrity mistakes. So um, like leading on to obviously the start of the episode, we mentioned very briefly about our own kind of embarrassing stories. And I, I do always think like tripping over and then just like pretending that, it's, it's, that you're not hurt and, and just getting on with things is always so embarrassing because everyone knows <laughs> that you've hurt yourself. Like it's clear. It, it'll yeah. be like in school where you've tripped over, grazed your knee, you get back up and it's clear that you're injured, but you're just <laughs> pretending you're fine. <laughs> Um, and I've got a few kind of uh, celebrity examples of this. Where there's just there's loads that I'll kind of list off. So um, yeah, there was there was the famous one of Jennifer Lopez where she had to style out her uh, fall on stage. So she fell over, but she styled it out and essentially pretended to like. I think she moved into some sort of twerk movement. Oh no! But pretended that it was like on purpose. Oh, that, it makes it so much more embarrassing, doesn't it? Because yeah. it's like just own the fact that you fell over. Yeah, literally. And and, and then uh, same with Harry Styles. He slipped on a kiwi during a concert. That's supposedly. rude. Yeah, apparently. Fair enough. And then also Gemma Collins. She um, fell through a trap door at the Radio 1 Teen Awards. Fell One through of, a trap door? Supposedly, yeah. Gosh, was she all right after <laughs> that? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, but, but one thing that I did find absolutely hilarious was uh, there was a case in the Winter Olympics um, in 2006. 
So this is kind of a sporting embarrassment where um, the US snowboarder, Lindsay Jacobellis, I'm probably butchering that name, but she was basically outright favorite to win the 2006 Winter Olympic snowboard cross final. Um, and, and rightfully so, she was miles ahead of everyone, uh, very close to the finish line and she started celebrating. No. She then got wiped out in the <laughs> second to last jump. No. Yeah, and then her Swiss competitor zipped past her to take gold. Wow, there is actually so many. I've actually, I used to love watching compilations of that, like yeah. people celebrating too early. There are so many and they sort of slow down, go like that and people just nip in front of them. What was like, do you remember the Olympics where Usain Bolt had that? It was at the time the, the world record and he sort of turned around and tapped his chest. Yeah. And everyone's like, what if he just kept, you know. <laughs> just gassed it to the yeah, end. Yeah, exactly. I know. Would, would he have beaten that time? But then yeah. it's just one of those things where it's just such an iconic moment that I feel like it was almost worthwhile. Yeah, exactly. The, these actually remind me of a personal story and a celebrity story. So did you ever see the Amy Schumer falling over in front of Kanye West and Kim Kardashian. Oh, I it was some sort of like red carpet event and she just, do you know who Amy Schumer is? No. She's this kind of like female comedian that people just consider very unfunny, right, steals okay. a lot of jokes, just yeah. like kind of cringe. Uh, apologies if there are any Amy Schumer enjoyers in here. I'm not judging if you like her, but she like was at this red carpet event and just like stumbled flat on her face. People think on purpose in front of Kanye West and stuff to get a reaction. Kanye West just looks down at her, doesn't smile, looks up and walks straight past her. Doesn't even help her get up. Oh really? Which just it was it just made it so much more embarrassing oh, for her because no. she was just decked it, and he just sort of did a classic Kanye West, didn't care. Yeah. But this actually reminds me of uh, so I was in I was on football tour with my uni football team in third year. We were in Krakow, Poland. And we'd sort of, we were in this hostel and a lot of the showers were taken up, but there was a shower on the rooftop. But because it got so hot in the summer was when we go on football tour that like a lot of people would just shower on the rooftop shower. Like, you know, you'd get a bit of like, bring a bit of shower gel and the water being cold wasn't like a big issue because it was sort of like just 35 degrees or whatever, really early. And uh, there was, because we were staying in a hostel, I was like chatting to this girl that had like, was like staying at the hostel as well that morning. Like she was just up like sunbathing early. I was talking to her, but because it was like just tiles and I was using the, uh, this like shower gel shampoo stuff. Oh no. It just, it got really <laughs> slippy yeah. beneath me. And I thought it was like a real like cool moment. You know, I was showering. I was like basically in my boxes, like talking to this girl. I was like, oh, this is going quite well. And I just, I slipped. I just slipped straight on my ass, like right there. And I panicked and I was like, if I, I was like, this feels so awkward. And I fainted injury. So I went oh, down and I just went, oh, because <laughs> I was like, if I slipped over and she laughs at me, it's embarrassing. But I was like, if I make it out as if I'm in a lot of pain, oh, true. she'll oh. be like, oh, are you okay and stuff. And I was just like, oh my God, my ankle. <laughs> she was like, oh, no way. Like runs up and like goes, can I see it? And I'm obviously going there like, oh yeah, all this kills. My ankle's completely fine. Like no bruises, no cuts, no red. And I think I kind of played it off, but deep down I just did worry that so much that she was there like this absolute weave, like yeah, she yeah. didn't buy it. I think I'd still laugh. I can't lie. Even yeah. if you, yeah, I mean, because you could go the other way where people massively exaggerate it, almost to like, like pass it off as a joke, mm. where it's just kind of like you're pretending that you're hurt. Because because rather than I think it's almost worse if you try and like get up and pretend. Like yes, like not nothing happened. See, yeah. And then, yeah, you've almost like, got to address the elephant in the room. Whereas you know someone's seen it, so you almost just have to address it. You, yeah. have, to, you have to own it at that yeah. point. Yeah, 
that that a hundred percent is one of the biggest things I've definitely found on social media. Like if something embarrassing happens to me, if I just laugh at myself and go, yeah, I acknowledge this was like whatever crap or embarrassing, or if this happens to me, because it's the worst one in terms of like I do quite a lot of group YouTube videos now. And I'm not in control of the editing. Oh, yeah, so in my own true. videos, I can edit my own embarrassing stuff out. Oh. Whereas sometimes there are embarrassing moments that get kept in. I find that so hard, you know. It's tough because like the other day we did this uh, like pub golf video where we just got steaming. And I did I just did not remember anything after hole four. And um, I was like, until there you could the video. be anything <laughs> in there until I watched the video. And I was like, okay, thankfully there's nothing too embarrassing. Yeah. But honestly, you know. I think as well, if you're in a video and you're like closer friends with some people that, or like maybe even just met some of the people in the video, mm. you kind of, you don't have that relationship yet where you could, yeah. you don't know if you're, you can cross the boundary and you could sort of like take the piss out of them or like rip into them. Yeah. And so it's always that awkward step, but then you still want to come across as fun in yourself. So it's difficult. Yeah, exactly. And you, you also don't want to try too hard. It is, such yeah. a, it is such a big thing. Like I love going on a night out with like it just being people I know really well. Cause I know like if I go on a night out with you and a few of like our mates and I say something really embarrassing or like say, or do something that doesn't reflect who I am as a person, you guys can be like, oh, that's like, you know, he made a drunken mistake. Whereas like when I, I don't know if you get this as well. I mean, it's definitely like a beer fear or like an anxiety thing. Uh, but then the day after I, I wake up from a night out, I always get such crippling anxiety of just like the first few hours that I wake up. I'm like, did I say anything embarrassing? Everything I did, I look at so critically and feel like, like, oh, was that really embarrassing? And it takes me like hours to get over. And it's always when I'm hungover. Yeah. I, do I you get know, that? Not really. No, <laughs> I know. I know a lot of people that do, but I, I sort of just accept the fact that it's going to be an exaggerated personality. It's going to mm. be an exaggerated version of myself. So. I'm potentially going to say things that I that is maybe slightly out of character, but yeah, I mean, I guess the risk is if you're at say a formal event or you're at something where you know it could be older people, or your parents' friends, yeah, that's then it's worse. a bit risky. But I think you're right. If you're in a comforting environment, you're with people that you know really well, then it's it's not that bad. Yeah, I get you. So yeah, just before we move on to dumb ways to die, I do actually have one more kind of embarrassing celebrity story where oh it's kind of related to influencers influence influencer marketing um and there's a couple examples one being little mix and the other was naomi campbell so essentially uh it's basically where they forgot to edit out the post that they were suggested to write on instagram oh i've seen these before yeah so little mix wrote in the caption they were they essentially said here's this copy jade which is a member of the little mix in the caption and said underneath so surreal to be on the side of a taxi so they clearly included the the draft copy that was sent over to them. And the same with Naomi Campbell. So she just obviously forgot to edit out the um, the caption that was suggested. And this was for an Adidas campaign. And obviously she has 2.9 million followers on Instagram. Uh, well, at the time that I, I looked this up and um, she was she was like posing with a brand new pair of Adidas trainers. And in the caption it said, Naomi, so nice to see you in good spirits. <laughs> Could you put something like this and then put the caption so like people were quickly to respond, quick to respond and realise that she made a mistake. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. That, that's a bit of a classic. I've seen that a couple of times. There was a footballer recently who tweeted out something like, "Hello, mate, can you just put something like <laughs> this?" And then <laughs> that was the whole tweet. They'd obviously copy and pasted. But there was actually a really clever. It reminds me of there was a really clever, t clever marketing poster. I don't know if you ever saw it, but it was just a text ex exchange. So it was like incoming message like hello mate can you do an advertising poster for our gig coming up and he goes like when is it and the guy goes oh 
it's it's on the 24th. He's like, oh, where is it? It's like, oh, it's at this stadium or and at this pub or whatever. And he goes, right, oh, will do. And it's just a screenshot of that message thing. And he put that up as the poster. And so people thought it was quite funny because like, it, it it's almost like anti-advertising because like you'd be on the underground and rather than being hit with this like colorful thing about this amazing gig, you get all the information about like where it is, what time, how much the tickets are. But it's just from this like exchange, which I thought was, yeah. So, so it was, that was purposely done, was it? Yeah, purposely ah, done. Okay. So not, not clever, a mistake, yeah. but yeah, quite a clever one. So yeah. yeah, so yeah, I guess finally we'll kind of move on to um, the last topic of discussion. Yes. So this one is dumb ways to die. So I've, I'm aware you've prepared a few things for this. Yeah, so this is actually something I've wanted to do a video on for so long on my main YouTube channel, but just didn't know quite how to do it because I don't really do like this kind of reaction content. And this is exactly the type of stuff that this podcast is made for. So I've got so many like, just just hilarious or weird ways to die or dumb ways to die. And I think quite a lot of them have like an interesting question or a bit of philosophy behind them. Actually speaking of philosophy, so the first one is a, a guy called Aeschylus. And so he's considered by many to be the father of tragedy. So he's a Greek playwright from, uh, he died in 458 BC. And so one day, you might've heard of this. This is probably the most famous one on here. Um, one day an eagle that had just caught a tortoise mistook his bald head for a rock suitable for cracking the tortoise's shell. And he dropped, and the eagle dropped the animal onto him, killing him instantly. Have you heard that before? No, never. Yeah, I think when people like search up or do videos on this, it's like the most common one. Right. And what makes it interesting is, um, this information was added sometime later, but um, it was added that he was actually staying outdoors to avoid a prophecy that he would be killed by a falling object. So he didn't want to be indoors and have like a pot falling on his head. And so because of this philosophy that he was going to die by something being dropped on his head, he went outdoors where he thought there'd be nothing to fall onto his head. And funnily enough, an eagle dropped a no tortoise way. on his head to kill it. Isn't that so funny? That's mad. Kind of funny as well that he's like such a tragic end for like the father of tragedy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a bit of an interesting one. But yeah, so some people actually think that, that um, the thing about the prophecy was uh, perhaps legendary and due to a misunderstanding of the iconography on his tomb. So whether that part's actually true, we don't actually know. There's another one, a bit of a, an act of revenge. So this guy's called Sigurd the Mighty, right? So this was in 892 AD. So he died, actually, I'm just gonna tell you the story. So he was a leader in the Viking conquest of what is now Northern Scotland, right? And so his death was said to have been caused by the severed head of male bright who he defeated in battle. So as he rode um, a horse with Male Bright's head attached to his saddle as a trophy, one of Male Bright's teeth grazed his leg and the wound became infected and he later caused his death. Really? Isn't that so funny? So it's almost like a bit of a martyrdom perk on Call of Duty where it's sort of like he died but ended up getting revenge and, and yeah. you know, died with him. Also, he, he, died, he died afterwards. Yeah, well, evidently, oh, right. he obviously okay, yeah. beheaded the guy because it's a trophy yeah. and then ended up dying later. That's the like... Biggest case of karma I've ever heard. Yeah, <laughs> literally, yeah. Sort of like revenge beyond the grave, uh, which is really interesting. There was that, there was another interesting one. So uh, have you heard of Clement Volendigum? So this was back in 1871. You, again, you might have heard this story. This is, I think this, this was quite a famous one when I was studying law at uni, but he was a prominent defense lawyer and he essentially attempted to prove his client innocent of murder by arguing that the victim had shot himself and so he did this by demonstrating before the court that it was possible that this guy could have shot himself. Um, and he demonstrated with a gun that he thought was unloaded. He accidentally no. 
shot himself and died of his wound 12 hours later, which is a great shame, but he was successful. So his act, however, was persuasive and his client was acquitted because he essentially successfully demonstrated that the guy that the client had murdered, yeah, could have died accidentally by the... Uh, Wow, thing. that's insane. Quite so, an interesting yeah, is, story. That, is that a famous law case study then? Yeah, so it was, I can't remember what context it would get brought up in, but it was kind of like one of these famous kind of like yeah. the lawyer died, like, that's you know, crazy. <laughs> upholding the law and yeah. giving his client the best possible defense by sort of like <laughs> dying to prove it. And who knows, maybe the client would have gone to prison. And the court wouldn't have been persuaded yeah, if he say, hadn't accidentally shot himself. They must have had a very close relationship to do that for your client. That's, yeah, I mean... It's pretty far Well, I mean, he didn't intend to shoot himself. You know, he thought that the gun wasn't loaded. But still... Yeah. Yeah, the client was probably very grateful yeah, that his true, lawyer yeah. killed himself <laughs> to prove it. There's another one, a lawyer. So this is completely irrele irrelevant to law. So the, the guy was called Gary Hoy in 1993. So he's fascinated by the physical robustness of a modern architecture... So much so that he regularly performed a party trick in which he would throw his full body weight against the windows of his office building to prove how strong they were. And he actually did this regularly on the 24th floor of the Toronto Dominion Bank Tower building. However, on, the, on July 9th, 1993, a reception was held for law students interested in apprenticeships. Um, he was giving a tour and decided to demonstrate his favorite party trick by running and throwing himself against the windows so that the students could see just how resilient the glass was. And he didn't tell them in advance that this is what he's doing. He's like, hey, guys, watch this. Run and jump against it. So they must have been very confused. The first time Hoy body slammed the window that day, he bounced off as he, as he did every other time. But then he threw himself at the window a second time. The glass didn't shatter. It actually popped out of its frame. Oh wow! So that I've actually heard this story before, as if he was—he knew it was a shatterproof glass. Oh, I see. And so he was going, "This is never going to shatter, so I'm yeah. safe. It's—it's it's never going to shatter okay. from me throwing myself at it." But it wasn't actually the glass shattering. Yeah. It was poorly sealed. That's funny. It popped out, and <laughs> plummeted to his death. Uh, twenty, yeah, four stories down, wow. and uh, the fool killed him instantly. Can you imagine how terrified and confused? I mean, all the students watching must have been so confused being like, what is this guy doing? Yeah. Throwing himself against this window. But the fear that he must be like, oh my goodness, it's popped out. Like the there's, worst. There's no going back. It's, it's... Yeah. I wonder how, whether there was ever a doubt in his mind that this was always going to be safe or not. And yeah, he was true. like, for goodness sakes, like it's actually happened. And this is so dumb. Yeah. When you think about it logically, yeah, you, Obviously, yeah, if the glass isn't going to shatter, but that could easily happen. Yeah, it's almost like those, uh, there have been times when people have demonstrated bulletproof vests. Oh, yeah. And been shot and the bullet has gone through and yeah. killed them and stuff, which is, yeah, which is terrible. There was actually a famous YouTuber, I don't know if you ever saw them. Well, the story was famous of a YouTuber. They, I think, only had a couple of hundred subscribers. And this actually isn't prep. This just triggered the thought. He held a Bible against his chest and got his girlfriend to shoot him with a gun. And he was like, you know, I'll get holy protection. It's a thick Bible, thought he'd be safe. But I think it was a 50 caliber Desert Eagle. So the bullet obviously just penetrated the Bible, shredded his chest to pieces, and he died momentarily. And obviously she got done for, uh, she got done for um, murder. Uh, but I've got uh, some, so the last few are a lot shorter stories, but they're, I think each individual one is really interesting. So I don't know if I'm getting this pronunciation right, but this guy was called Sharandas and he lived 500 to 700 BC. And he was a, a Greek lawgiver from Sicily, Italy. 
And so he once issued a law that anyone who brought weapons into the assembly must be brought put to death. So one day he arrived at the assembly seeking help to defeat some brigands in the countryside, but with a knife still attached to his belt. In order to uphold his own law, he took his own life there and then. So that's almost like one of the most interesting cases of like, I'm a man of my own word. And almost a rare thing you see in politicians these days of like, this law that I helped create or this rule that I set, I'm going to stand by him myself. But almost like in the most extreme way possible, you know. Well, yeah, you can't get more extreme than that. I know, like we've had recent, you know, obviously having had the pandemic quite recently, had government officials who had sort of like, brought forward regulations and laws about how you're allowed to behave where you're allowed to go and it breached it themselves and i mean that happened loads how far we've fallen from politicians who will say ah anyone who you know will bring a weapon into the assembly must be put to death and goes you know what? it's my rule i'm going to give the ultimate price and take my own life for this yeah whereas now yeah you're right you get people to literally defend themselves mm. like yeah it's 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 relentless they'll literally defend themselves even if they breach their own rule i mean there's yeah. there's so many examples of that recently yeah and they won't even they won't even get the fine that yeah, they should yeah. get the hop like, hypocrisy is. yeah it's, it's astounding isn't it yeah. uh another one so uh empedocles of akragas 430 bc so he was a pre-socratic philosopher from the island of sicily so one of his poems declares himself to have become a divine being no longer mortal um apparently he tried to prove he was an immortal god by leaping into Mount Etna, an active volcano, um, and understandably died as a result. But that was a bit of a funny one where it's kind of like, you know, he's almost delusional, but there's only one way you can prove it. And to be fair to him, he did try and prove it. So he definitely, you know, he <laughs> believed it. I don't know if you ever know, knew this, um, but we had a guy in our school called Reese Fraser, who used to get the bus with me, Danny Max, like some of our school friends. Yeah, And he used to say, I genuinely believe I'm immortal and I'm never going to die. I do remember this. You can't disprove him. And it's so frustrating because <laughs> like with anything else, any other claim, you know, if he's like, I can walk on water, you're like, prove it. Yeah. You can't, we couldn't just kill him at the back of the bus, back yeah. of the school bus. And so it was so frustrating because he would, he believed it so strongly, but there was nothing and he's still alive today. So yeah, maybe he may is immortal. May maybe he is right. We'll, yeah. We'll, hopefully. I don't know, we, we might live to, to see if he is wrong or not, but yeah. who knows? Maybe like we said in the last episode, we will become immortal beings. That's true. And he will happens. be right. And so yeah. he'll never actually die. Um, yeah, fascinating. Uh, this is quite another famous kind of story. I don't know whether these are famous generally or whether I've looked up a lot of them before because I just love this topic. Um, but his, his name's Hans Steininger. So in 1566, um, he died when he broke his neck tripping over his own beard which was a 4.5 foot or 1.4 meter long beard at the time he usually had it rolled up in a leather pouch but yeah he tripped over it and I've snapped his that. neck it's not a weird that's bizarre i mean why why would you have a 4.5 feet foot beard or 1.4 meters long that's so outrageous he's clearly proud of it but yeah it was his downfall the it must day. have been quite sure if he tripped over it because it was only 4.5 feet that's true, yeah. It must have... Oh, yeah, I don't know how that works. Or but maybe, that's maybe on, one. on stairs? Yeah. Walking upstairs? Yeah, maybe. Or, or stepping up a ladder or something. Yeah. Uh, Thomas Urquhart uh, in 1660. He was a Scottish aristocrat, polymath, and the first translator of Francois Rabelais' writings into English. I don't know who that man is, but some people might appreciate that knowledge. But he is said to have died laughing 
upon hearing that Charles II had taken the throne. Isn't that a weird way to die? Yeah. Um, there must have been something more to that than he died laughing, like maybe he stumbled out of a window laughing so hard. Yeah, because if that was true, then you'd hear a lot more cases of that if that was possible. Maybe he had a heart condition or something. That's I, true, yeah. I'd actually like to know, know more about that. But it got me thinking, I wonder if anyone died or came close to dying laughing when they found out that me and you were starting a podcast <laughs> together. <laughs> Just being like those freaking nerds. Oh, which I thought was quite funny. Yeah. Um, so that was why I kept that one in. Um, uh, there was another one, interestingly, that had a, an interesting follow-up question. And we're into the last few now, but I, yeah, I think I think they're all getting, I think they will get slightly more interesting from now on as well. So uh, this guy called Francois Vatel. So he was responsible for a banquet of 2,000 people hosted in honor of King Louis fourth, 14th. Sorry. Vatel was so distraught about the lateness of the seafood delivery to the banquet that he committed suicide with his sword. Um, his body was discovered when someone came to tell him of the arrival of the fish, which is quite an overreaction, I'd how, say. How would they even find that out? Like, how would they know that that was the reason? Yeah, I wonder that too. Maybe he was fretting, maybe just going, it's late, I can't believe it, I'm going to do this. True, yeah, maybe there was messages or something that, I don't know, yeah. Or maybe someone Some did, maybe someone was so angry that he was partly to blame for the lateness of the fish that they killed him. And was like, oh, I found him with yeah, exactly. a sword you don't punch. Know. So you don't actually know, but how important is punctuality to you? Turning up late, being on time? I mean, I wouldn't be so angry to the point where I'd murder someone or kill myself, if that's what you're about to say. <laughs> no, me too. Good to know. Just yeah. so that I know if I ever turn up late to the pod, whether to make sure you haven't got a sword on you. <laughs> Thornton Jones, 1924, another lawyer, woke up to find he had his throat slit. But what's interesting was he motioned for a paper and pencil and he wrote, I dreamt that I had done it. I awake to find it true. He died 80 minutes later. So apparently he had actually slit his throat whilst unconscious mid-dream. I don't know if you've ever done anything in a dream and woken up and it happened in real life. It actually used to happen all the time, annoyingly, when I was really young and used to wet the bed. Oh, really? I'd have a dream where I'd be like, God, I really need a pee. You know, I'd run and find a bathroom in this like zombie or alien house or whatever, pee and then I've, kind of wake up and I'd be like mid pee or just having pee. Just like, For goodness sakes, but it would always happen because like, you know, when you're in a dream, you don't know you're in a dream. So you think going to the bathroom is the most normal thing and you just wake up and you're like, oh, forget it. But thankfully, for whatever reason, and I actually always wonder why we grow out of that. Like what, how, why when you get older, is it just <laughs> do we? <laughs> Have you done it recently? I mean, I've done that before as well. I think that's quite common because you, yeah, you think you're dreaming. I wouldn't say recently, but I was definitely of age to the point where I shouldn't be doing that. Interesting, because I haven't done it probably since I was like five or six. Oh, okay. But, um, <laughs> I, <laughs> but I always think like, how come it becomes less common? Because like, yeah, how does it, why does it become less common just because you get older? Do you maybe dream you more when less? you're younger? Is Maybe. it kind of, yeah, you, they're more vivid, the dreams when you're younger, potentially. You're more that sensitive to that. That is such an interesting question. I wonder if kids' dreams are more vivid. Yeah. Interesting. Um, but yeah, so anyway, on that, him slitting his throat and his, again, that could be another way, you know, someone had killed him. Have you ever heard the, the novel, The Cider House Rules? No. He kind of, I don't want to spoil it, but the father had done something horrible to the daughter and the daughter had stabbed him and run away. But the dad felt so guilty that when he was lying there dying, he got people to gather around and said, my daughter ran away and I was so sad. 
that I killed myself. That's what's happened. That's what you tell the police because he had done something so bad to his daughter that he wanted essentially redemption by going, I don't want the police hunting her and getting her trial for murder. I see. Um, I, want, I want it to be known that I killed myself. Um, but yeah, an inquest at Bangor delivered a verdict of suicide whilst temporarily insane for that one. Um, this is probably the grimmest way to die. So Monica Myers in 1980 um, was carrying out maintenance work around the sewage tanks at, at the town of Betterton, Maryland, um, which is the town's largest municipal facility. Um, sorry, she was carrying out maintenance works at the sewage tanks at the town's largest municipal facility. According to Lawrence Journal World, Myers fell 1.2 meters into the catwalks into a 15-foot aeration tank filled with human waste. She was found a day later floating face down. No. Isn't that possibly the worst way you could go? I, I, think, I think drowning is one. Of the, and then in sewage water as well. It's drowning disgusting. Drowning in human sewage. That is vile. It's weird because, yeah, you, you, I actually found out since we did the thing that apparently drowning to death is supposedly the most peaceful way to die. Really? Yeah. So people that have survived it have drowned to the point where they've been resuscitated said that in their final few moments, they felt very at peace. Wow, that's it's interesting. It's so strange. Yeah. So although you might hate the idea of drowning, I don't know if that helps your fear. It's more the, the claustrophobia aspect of just like- Oh, I see. Not being able to reach the surface yeah. and scrambling. Yeah, that, that, is that moment. But then I guess you wouldn't know what it's like after that. Yeah, true. I interesting question. Would you ever go skydiving? Mm, maybe. So I wonder if this will change your mind. On the 2nd of April, 1988, a veteran skydiver went skydiving. He was filming a jump by an instructor and a student from Franklin County Sports Parachute Center when he jumped from the plane without the parachute. Um, he was so focused on filming the process, he had apparently forgot to put one on and perhaps his camera equipment may have been mistaken for one. So he jumped out and didn't realize until too late. But what's terrifying about this is the tape was recovered. So you can actually find the footage oh, no. on news sites of his final jump where yeah. he realizes that he hasn't actually got a parachute on him. And actually just, just to, to finish on something related, it's related to parachutes. I thought this one was a kind of a, an interesting one. I'm curious, you guys can comment on whether this is a, a dumb or a, a noble way to die. So his name was Franz Reichelt in 1912. He was an inventor. He was actually a pioneer of parachute designs. And so basically he was fixated on developing a chute, right? that aviators would convert, um, sorry, a suit for aviators that would convert into a parachute and allow them to survive a fall should they be forced to leave their aircraft in midair. So he basically just wanted them to wear something that rather than having to pull a fat parachute, you know, maybe if they passed out or whatever, and, you know, he didn't want them ejecting from their plane, passing out or something from an explosion and dying. He wanted it to automatically become a parachute. Um, and so he created this funny looking... Uh, um, sort of like suit and actually initial experiments conducted with dummies dropped from the fifth floor of his apartment building had been successful. And so believing that a suitably high test platform would prove his invention's efficacy, he repeatedly petitioned at the Parisian prefecture of police for permission to conduct a test from the Eiffel Tower. He finally received permission on 1912, but when he arrived at the tower on the 4th of February, he made it clear that he intended to jump personally rather than conduct an experiment with dummies. Despite attempts to dissuade him, he jumped from the first platform of the tower wearing his invention. As oh, wow. I'm sure you can expect where this is going, the parachute failed to deploy 
and he plummeted 57 meters or 187 feet to his death. I thought it was a really interesting one because it's kind of dumb to a certain extent, but it's 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 almost like the people who die proving their sort of their uh, worth. It's it's a common theme, worth, isn't it? Yeah. Like Do, people would rather stick to their word. Yeah, or exactly. Maybe that was quite common. Or proving their invention. Yeah, hundreds of years ago and less common now. But it yeah. seems that people were so passionate about a project or an invention, like in that case. Or their word, yeah. That or their word and they would almost they would sacrifice their life for for that to work. Yeah. Going like I believe this invention so strongly. I have so much self-belief that, you but know. I mean, <laughs> you could have self-belief and then try it on dummies and then make a few tweaks. It could potentially still work. But he did, it worked work. for five sto- a five-story jump from his from his apartment building. I guess. But so then he the- did it with dummies and he was like, I want everyone to show, I want to do this on the biggest stage I almost. Guess, yeah, true. I want to jump from the Eiffel Tower and show yeah. everyone that my parachute works. And I mean, eventually at some stage, you've got to go from dummy to human, right? Yeah, true. You know, maybe maybe it's almost noble because it's almost like human testing. And he goes, I don't want to give this to aviators and just tell them to rely on it. I don't want to put someone else in there. Um, I'm going to do it myself and be like, I believe it. I'm going to show it. So there's a bit of a mix of stupidity and overzealousness, but also a slight part of me respects these people that go like, I'm putting my reputation on my line I believe in myself. I believe in what I've worked for, whether it's, you know, um, writing laws that say, you know, you should adhere to these laws and sticking to them at cost of their lives or, you know, maybe, and I definitely don't have respect for someone who's sticking to a bit where they jump against windows and, yeah, you know, falls out for those kind of that things. Is dumb. That, that's just dumb, you know, doing it for a joke or doing anything silly. I have no respect for, but I have a weird amount of respect for someone who does something for the sort of like a, standing by their beliefs yeah definitely I, I think so as well but it's just it's that fine line isn't it there are some dumb cases where maybe you could do some extra testing yeah exactly maybe you could like assess the other risks involved whether it be the window seams um and it just seems yeah it doesn't seem the smartest thing to do yeah but interesting i think this has been a really interesting episode because like we've got a mix of funny cases embarrassing cases and uh i particularly and personally just absolutely love the history when going through that like especially being someone who lives in London to know more about the history of London. And if you don't, you know, you learn more about our great city and Fred and mine, mine's home. But um, yeah, I just, I love doing podcast episodes where we talk about stuff. And like you said, when we were doing our research, just going like, it, it gets us reading things and learning about things that I think consuming a lot of other social media, I would just never find out about. So uh, definitely. Yeah. Would that even be going back into something we've learned? in school and then never touched on in years or yeah even just you then learn about new topics or stuff that's a branch of potentially like you were saying the great fire of london yeah and just finding all these cool facts I, i've definitely learned a lot yeah and hopefully we'll have plenty more episodes like this i think over the next few episodes we're going to have more guests involved um so it might be more story-based than fact-based but i know you guys are really enjoying the like informative educational and entertaining mix uh so yeah hopefully plenty more value to provide to you guys in future episodes as always thank you for watching head to fredarthurpod.com for links to everything follow us on social media at fredarthurpod you know come get involved in the clips in the discussion talking youtube comments reply to our instagram posts tiktok posts from clips from the thing um and uh obviously our dms are open if you want to suggest any topics or or talk about anything or just even respond you know like a big part of this is it's a fun discussion if we've spoken about something and you just want to reply, you can comment it or reply to a social media post or you can DM us. Thank you so much for watching. We appreciate it. Yeah. See you next time.